4. The part which shows the back fold being more or less concealed, and is generally 18 inches to 2 feet in length, has at its base a fringe made by cutting the end of the cloth up into strips, equal or unequal in width, the number of which may be only 6 or less, or may be 15 or 20. The front fold is often wholly or partly stained, the color of the stain being usually yellow, and is always more or less covered with a decorative design, the colors of which are usually black and red. The back fold is generally stained yellow, but never has any design upon it. The fringe is also usually stained yellow, and is without design, except occasionally perhaps a few horizontal lines of color. I may say here, as regards these colors, that, so far as my observation went, the colors of the decorative patterns were always black and red, and the general staining was always yellow, and indeed the last mentioned color does not show up against the natural color of the cloth sufficiently clearly to adapt it for actual design work. I am not, however, prepared to say that this allocation of the colors is in fact an invariable one, and, as I know that red is used for general staining of perineal bands and dancing ribbons, it is possible that it, as well as yellow, is used for aprons. Numerous variations of design are to be found in these garments, and indeed I may say that it is in these and in the featherhead decorations that the Mafula people mainly indulge such artistic powers as they possess. Plates 36 to 43 are examples of decoration of the front folds of these dancing aprons, and I give the following particulars concerning them. First stating that, subject to what may appear in my particulars, the darker lines and spots represent black ones in the apron and the lighter ones represent red ones. Plate. Average width of apron in inches. Notes on ground staining and other matters. 36612 Background of design and stained. But back fold of apron and fringe stained yellow. 37734 Ditto 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 38514 Only a little irregular yellow staining behind the design. Back fold of apron and fringe stained yellow. 396 Background of design except fringe part and stained. But back fold of apron and fringe stained yellow. 47 Background of upper zigzag part of design and stained, but that of lower rectangular part and whole of back fold of apron and fringe stained yellow. 411012 Faintly tinted broad horizontal and vertical lines and triangles in figure represent yellow stain. No other staining in the apron. 42634 Background of design and stained, but back fold end of apron and fringe stained yellow. 43634 No background staining in the apron. The smallness of the amount of decoration and the substitution of two tails for a fringe are, I think, unusual. Dancing ribbons are made out of bark cloth by both men and women, but are colored by men only. These are worn by both men and women at dances. The ribbons hanging round the body from the abdominal belt or a cord, three or four or five of them being worn by one person, and one of these commonly hanging in front. They are generally two or three inches wide and about four feet long but a portion of this length is required for hitching the ribbon round the belt. I think their ornamentation is confined to staining in transverse bands of alternating color or of one color and in stained cloth. Plate 13, Figure 4, illustrates the coloring of two ribbons each two inches wide, the alternation in one case being red and yellow, and in the other red and in stained cloth, and the men figured in plate 70 are wearing ribbons, though they are not very clearly shown in the plate. The feather ornaments for the head and especially those worn at dances, and the feather ornaments worn on the back at dances present such an enormous variety of colors and designs that it would be impossible to describe them here without very greatly increasing the length of the book. The ornaments are often very large, 
sometimes containing eight or ten or even twelve rows of feathers, one behind another. They can usually be distinguished from those made by the Mako people by a general inferiority in design and make of the ornament as a whole, the Mafula people having less artistic skill in this respect than the people of the lowlands. The ornaments include feathers of parrots, cockatoos, hornbills, cassowaries, birds of paradise, bowerbirds and some others. One never or rarely sees feathers of seabirds, or waterfowl, or pigeons, which, I was told, are not found among the mountains, as the Mafula people in their trading with the people of the plains take in exchange things which they cannot themselves procure, rather than feathers, which are so plentiful with them. The black cassowary feather is important in Mafulu as being the special feather distinction of chiefs, but, though chiefs are as a rule possessed of more and better ornaments than are the poorer and unimportant people, they had no other special and distinctive ornament. Plates 44 and 45 illustrate some of these head feather ornaments. Plate 44, figure 1, shows an ornament made out of the brown fibrous exterior of the wild beetle nut, black pigeon feathers and white cockatoo feathers. The beetle fiber and black pigeon feathers being, I was told, only used in the mountains. Plate 44, figure 2, shows one made out of brown feathers of young cassowary, white cockatoo feathers and red-black parrot feathers. Plate 44, figure 3, shows one made out of bright red and green parrot feathers. Plate 45, figure 1, shows one made out of black cassowary feathers, white cockatoo feathers red parrot feathers and long red feathers of the bird of paradise. Plate 45, figure 2, is made of cassowary feathers only. This ornament is worn in front of the head, over the forehead, and is specially worn by chiefs. Plate 46, figure 1, shows a head feather ornament which is peculiar to the mountains. The crescent-shaped body of the ornament, which is made of short feathers taken from the neck of the cassowary, is worn in front over the forehead and the cockade of hawk feathers stands up over the head. Plate 46, figure 2, shows a back ornament of cassowary feathers which is specially intended to be worn by chiefs at dances. The custom is to have from 5 to 12 of these ornaments hanging vertically side by side, suspended to a horizontal stick, which is fastened on the chief's back at the height of the shoulders, so that the feathers hang like a mantle over his back. The mode in which feather ornaments for the back are hung on sticks is seen in Plate 70 where a stick with pendant ornaments is being held by two boys in front. Plated frames plate 47 are worn by men in connection with these head feather ornaments. These frames are flat curved bands, rigid or nearly so, generally forming half or nearly half a circle of an external diameter of about 9 inches, and being about 1 inch in width. They are worn at dances and on solemn occasions. They are placed round the top of the forehead, not vertically, but with their upper edges sloping obliquely forward and have at their ends strings, which pass over the ears and are tied at the back of the head. These frames help to support the feather ornaments, and prevent them from falling down over the face. They are made by men only. A groundwork of small split cane or other material runs in parallel curved lines from end to end, single pieces of the material being generally doubled back at the ends so as to form several lines, and this is strengthened and ornamented by interplating into it either split cane or some other material obtained from the splitting of the inside fiber of a plant in the way previously referred to. There are varieties of material and of pattern worked up in different designs of interplating. Some of the materials are uncolored or merely the natural color of the material, and others are in two colors, generally brown or reddish brown and yellow. These frames display a considerable amount of variety of artistic design. The feather erections used at special and important dances, 
and especially those worn by chiefs, are enormous things, towering six or twelve feet above the wearer's head, and are generally larger than those of Mako. They are held in a framework, which has an inverted basket-shaped part to rest on the head, and downward plodding rods, which are tied to the shoulders. The frames are to a great extent similar to those of Mako, but, having a larger burden to bear, they are more strongly made. These feather erections and their frames are seen in plate 70. Here, as in other parts of New Guinea, both men and women, but especially men, love to decorate themselves with bright flowers and leaves and grasses, these being worn in the hair and in bunches stuck into their belts, armlets and leg bands, and indeed in any places where they can be conveniently fastened. It is not the practice with the Mafulu for mothers to wear the umbilical cords of any of their children, though apparently the Kuni people do so. Chapter ID Daily Life and Matters Connected with it Daily Life The early morning finds the wife and young children and in married daughters in the house. The husband has been sleeping either there or in the Amon clubhouse, but most probably the latter. The unmarried sons are in the Amon, except any very young ones who have not been formally admitted to it in a way which will be hereafter described. The women cook the breakfast for the whole family inside the house at about 6 or 7 o'clock, and then take the food of the men to the Amon. After breakfast most of the men and women go off to the gardens and the bush. The women's work there is chiefly the planting of sweet potatoes, taro and other things, and cleaning the gardens, and in the afternoon they get food from the gardens and firewood from the bush all of which they bring home to the village, also they have to clear off the undergrowth from newly cleared bush. The men's work is mainly the yam and banana and sugar cane planting, each in its season, and the cutting down of big trees and making fences. If they happen to be opening out new garden land, they also sometimes help the women with their work, or they may have hunting expeditions in the bush, or go off in fishing parties to the river. In all matters the men of Mafulu, though lazy, are not so lazy as those of Mako and the coast. In the middle of the day the women cook the meal for everyone in the gardens, this being done on the spot, and there they all eat it. At three, four, or five o'clock all the people of the village have returned to it, except perhaps when they are very busy taking advantage of good weather for making new clearings or other special work. In the evening they have another meal cooked in the village. At every meal in the village the pigs have to be fed also, be sharing the food of the people themselves or feeding on raw potatoes, unless there is dancing going on, or they are tempted by a fine moonlight night to sit out talking, the people all terminate their routine day by going to bed early, as regards the daily social conduct of the people among themselves, I was told that the members of a family generally live harmoniously together subject as regards husbands and wives to the matters which will be mentioned later, that children are usually treated kindly and affectionately by their parents, and that there is very little quarreling within a village, and what I saw when I was among the Mafula people certainly seemed to confirm all this. There are various detailed matters of daily life which will appear under their appropriate headings, but I will here deal with a few of them. Food. The vegetable foods of the Mafula people are sweet potato and other plants of the same type. Yam and other foods of the same type. Taro and other foods of that type. Banana of different sorts. Sugar cane. A kind of wild native bean. A cultivated reed-like plant with an asparagus flavor what it is I do not know. Several plants of the pumpkin and cucumber type. One of them being very small, like a gherkin. Fruit from two different species of pandanus. Almonds. The fruit of the mailage described later on. And others. Both cultivated and wild. The sugar cane is specially eaten by them when working in the gardens. Their animal food consists of wild pig and, 
On occasions, village pig, a small form of cassowary, kangaroo, a small kind of wallaby, kangaroo rat, iguana, an animal called gaydaylight could not find out what this island various wild birds, fish, eels, mice, a large species of snake and other things, their staple drink is water, but when traveling they cut down a species of bamboo, and drink the watery fluid which it contains. After boiling any food in bamboo stems they drink the water which has been used for the purpose, and which has become a sort of thin flavored soup. Beetle chewing is apparently not indulged in by these people as extensively as it is done in Mako and on the coast, but they like it well enough, and for a month or so before a big feast, during which period they are under a strict taboo restriction as to food, they indulge in it largely. The beetle used by them is not the cultivated form used in Mako and on the coast, but a wild species only about half the size of the other, and the lime used is not, as in Mako and on the coast, made by grinding down seashells, but is obtained from the mountain stone, which is ground down to a powder, the gourds plate 51, figures 6 and 7 in which the lime is carried are similar to those used in Mako, except that usually they are not ornament, or, if they are so, the ornamentation is only done in simple straight line geometric patterns, the spatuli are sometimes very simply and rudely decorated. The people spin out the beetle after chewing, instead of swallowing it, as is the custom in Mako. Cooking and eating and their utensils. They had no cooking utensils, other than the simple pieces of bamboo stem, which they use for boiling. Their usual methods of cooking are roasting and boiling. Roasting is usually effected by making a fire, letting it die down into a red-hot ashes, and then putting the food without wrap or covering into the ashes turning it from time to time. They also roast by holding the food on sticks in the flame of the burning fire, turning it occasionally. Stone cooking is adopted for pig and other meats. They make a big fire, on the top of which they spread the stones. When the stones are hot enough, they remove some of them, place the meat without wrap or covering on the others, then place the removed stones on the meat, and finally pile on these stones a big covering of leaves to keep in the heat. Stone cooking in the gardens is done in a slightly different way, there they dig in the ground a round hole about one foot deep and from one one to two two feet in diameter, and in this hole they make their fire, on which they pile their stones, and the rest of the process is the same as before. This hole making process is never adopted in the village, the only reason for it which was suggested was that the method was quicker, and that in the gardens they are in a hurry, of course, holes of this sort dug in the open village enclosure would be a source of danger especially at night. Boiling is done in pieces of bamboo about 4 inches in diameter and about 15 or 18 inches long. They fill these with water, put the food into them, and then place or hold the bamboo stems in a slanting position in the flames. This method is specially used for cooking sweet potatoes, but it is their only method of boiling anything. Water, which they keep stored and carry in bamboo receptacles and hollow pumpkins, is boiled in bamboo stems in the same way. The bamboo storage vessels are generally from 2 to 5 feet long. The intersecting nodes, other than that at one end, having been removed, the pumpkins plate 52. Figures 2 and 3 are similar to those used by the Roro Coast people and in Mako, except that the usual form, instead of being rather short and broad with a narrow opening, is longer and narrower, some of them being, say, 3 feet long, and often very curved and crooked in shape. Their only eating utensils are wooden dishes and small pieces of wood, or sometimes of cassowary or kangaroo bone, which are used as forks, and pieces of split bamboo, which are used for cutting meat, 
but these latter are used for other purposes, and rather come within the list of ordinary implements, and will be there described. They also use prepared pig bones as forks, but these again are largely used for other purposes, and will be described under the same heading. The dishes plate 52. Figure 1 are made out of the trunk of a tree called Angam. The usual length of a dish, without its handles, is between 1 and 2 feet, its width varies from 9 inches to 1 foot, and its depth from 3 to 6 inches. It is rudely carved out of the tree trunk. The work being done with stone adzes unless they happen to possess European axes and it generally has a handle at one or both ends. It is not decorated with carving in any way. The common form of handle is merely a simple knob about 3 inches long and 1 1 2 inches wide. But it is sometimes less simple. And I have a dish one of the handles of which is divided into two projecting pieces about 7 1 2 inches long and joined to each other at the end. The handle is always carved out of the same piece of wood as is the dish, never made separately and afterwards attached. The wooden forks are simply bits cut from trees and sharpened at one end, and they are without prongs. Their use is only temporary, and they are not permanently stored as household utensils. The cassowary and kangaroo bone implements plate 25. Figure 3 are also merely roughly wanted in pronged pieces of bone, and otherwise without special form. When eating enfamil they do not always use these plant wooden and bone sticks, but very commonly take the food out of the dish with their hands only, but if the family had guests with them they would probably use the sticks more, and their hands less. The men and women often eat together, sitting round the dish and helping themselves out of it, though, if there are too many to do this conveniently, pieces will be handed out to some of them. Various implements, besides the cooking and eating implements above described and other things, such as weapons of war and of hunting and fishing, and implements for manufacture, agriculture and music, which will be dealt with under their own headings. There are a few miscellaneous things which may be conveniently described here. Bamboo knives plate 51, figure 5. These are simple strips made out of a special mountain form of bamboo, and are generally 8 to 10 inches long and about 1 inch wide. One edge is left straight for its whole length, and the other is cut away near the end. Very much as we cut away one side of a quill pen, so as to produce a sharp point. The side edge which is used for cutting is the one which is not cut away at the end, and when it gets blunt it is renewed by simply peeling off a length of fiber, thus producing a new edge, beveled inwards towards the concave side of the implement, and making a hard and very sharp fresh cutting edge. The point can of course be sharpened at any time in the obvious way. Pig bone implements plate 51. Figure 2. These are the implements which are often used as forks, but they have straight edges also with which they are used as scraping knives, and they are utilized for many other purposes. The implement, which is, I think, similar to what is commonly found in Mako and on the coast, is made out of the leg bone of a pig, and is generally from 5 to 8 inches long. One side of the bone is ground away, so as to make the implement flattish in section, one side the outside and ground part of the bone being somewhat convex and the other where the bone has been ground away being rather concave. Some of the joint end of the bone is left to serve as a handle, and from this the bone is made to narrow down to a blunt, rather flattish and rounded point, somewhat like that of a blunt paper cutter. The side edge is used for scraping, and the point for sticking into things. Smoking pipes are in the ordinary well-known form of Mako and the coast, being made of sections of bamboo stem in which the natural intersecting node near the mouthpiece end is bored and the node at the other end is left closed, and between these two nodes, near to the closed one, is a flute-like hole, 
in which is placed the cigarette of tobacco wrapped up in a leaf. They are, however, generally not ornament, or, if they are so, it is merely in a simple geometric pattern of straight lines. I obtained one pipe plate 51, figure 1 of an unusual type, being much smaller than is usual. A special feature of this pipe is its decoration, which includes groups of concentric circles. This is the only example of a curved line which I ever met with among the Mafulu villages, and it is probable that it had not been made there. Boring drills plate 51, figure 4 are also similar to those of Miku and the coast, except that there the flywheel is, I think, usually a horizontal circular disc, through the center of which the upright shaft of the implement passes, whereas in the Mafula boring instrument the flywheel, through which the shaft passes is a rudely cut flat horizontal piece of wood about 9 or 10 inches long, 2 inches broad, and half an inch or less thick, and also that in Mafula the native point, made out of a quant fragment of the stone used for making club heads, adds blades and cloth beaters, is not generally replaced by a European iron point, as is so commonly the case in Miku and near the coast. These drills are used for boring dogs teeth and shells and other similar hard substance things but are useless for boring articles of wood or other soft substances, in which the roughly formed point would stick. Fire making, this is a question of process, rather than of implement, but may be dealt with here. To produce fire, the Mafula native takes two pieces of very dry and inflammable wood, one larger than the other, and some dry bark cloth fluff. He then holds the smaller piece of wood and the fluff together, and rubs them on the larger piece of wood. After four or five minutes the fluff catches fire without bursting into actual flame, upon which the native continues the rubbing process, blowing gently upon the fluff, until the two pieces of wood begin to smolder, and can then be blown into a sufficient flame for lighting a fire, carrying bags, these are all made of network, I shall say something about the mode of netting and coloring them hereafter, and will here only deal with the bags and their use, they are of various sizes, one there are the large bags used by women for carrying heavy objects, such as firewood, vegetables and fruit, which they bring back to the village on their return in the afternoon from the gardens and bush. These bags are carried in the usual way, the band over the opening of the bag being passed across the front of the head above the forehead, and the bag hanging over the back behind. They are curved in shape, the ends of the bag being at both its top and bottom edges higher than are the centers of those edges, so that, when a bag is laid out flat, its top line is a concave one and its bottom line is a convex one. The network at the two ends of the top line is continued into the loop band by means of which the bag is carried. The usual dimensions of one of these bags, as it lies flat and in stretched on a table the measurements being made along the curved lines are as follows top line about 2 feet, bottom line about 3 feet, and side lines about 18 inches, but when filled with vegetables, firewood, etc. they expand considerably especially those made of Mafula network, of which I shall speak hereafter. These bags are uncolored, to there are similar, but somewhat smaller, bags, in which the women carry lighter things, and which in particular they use for carrying their babies. They frequently carry this bag and the larger one together, and you will often see a woman with a big bag heavily laden with vegetables or firewood or both, and another smaller bag perhaps also slung behind over the top of the big one or hanging from her head at her side, or over her breast, which contains her baby, apparently rolled up into a ball, these bags also are uncolored, three there are other bags, similar perhaps in size to number two, used for visiting and at feasts, dances and similar occasions, 
and also sometimes used for carrying babies. The top line of one of these is generally about two feet long, the bottom line a trifle longer, and the side lines about one foot. These are colored in decorative patterns, for there are small bags of various sizes carried by men slung over their shoulders or arms, and used to hold their betel nut, pepper and tobacco and various little implements and utensils of daily life. These are sometimes uncolored and sometimes colored. 5. There are the very small charm bags, only about 2 inches or a trifle more square, which are used by both men and women I think only the married ones for carrying charms, and are worn hanging like lockets from the neck. They are sometimes colored. Plate 53 gives illustrations of 3 of these bags figure 1 being a woman's ornament bag number 3, and figure 2 being a man's ornament bag number 4, but this last mentioned bag is rather a large one of its type. The usual difference in size between nose, 3 and 4 being greater than the two examples figured would suggest. The patterns of both these bags, and especially of the larger one, are more regular than is usually the case. The bag shown in figure 3 will be dealt with hereafter under the heading of netting. As regards women, the carrying of bags, either full or empty, hanging over their backs is so common that one might almost regard the bag as an additional article of dress. I may say here in advance of my observations on netting that the distinctive features of Mafula bags, as compared with those made in Miko and on the coast, are the special and peculiar form of netting which is commonly adopted for some of them and the curious lines of coloring with which they are often ornament. Hammocks are commonly used in the houses and among for sleeping. These also are made of network and will be referred to a later. The distinctive feature of network mentioned in relation to bags applies to these also, but not that of coloring. Pottery is not made or used in Mafulu. I may perhaps refer here to what I imagine to be an ancient stone mortar, which I found at Mafulu, and which I have endeavored to show in figure 2. A portion of the upper part of the original was broken away, and I regret that I did not try to sketch it just as it was. Instead of adopting the easier course of following what had been the original lines, I am also sorry that its great weight made it impossible for me to bring it down with me to the coast and that by an oversight I did not secure a photograph of it. The vessel was well and evenly shaped. It had perfectly smooth surfaces, without any trace of cutting or chipping, and must have been made by grinding. It was devoid of any trace of decoration. Its top external diameter was about 12 inches. Its height, when standing upright on its base, was about 8 inches, and the thickness of the bowl at the lip about 1 inch. I was told that similar things are from time to time found in the district. Generally on the ridges, far away from water, a Mafula chief said that the Mafula name for these things is Idagaf. The natives had no knowledge of their origin or past use. The only explanation of the latter which was suggested being that they were used as looking glasses by looking into the scummy surface of the water inside them. European things, the Mafula people are now beginning, mainly through the missionaries of the Sacred Heart, and also through their contact with Miko and other lowland tribes to get into touch with European manufacturers, trade beads, knives, axes, plain irons used by them in place of stone blades for their adzes, matches and other things are beginning to find their way directly and indirectly into such of the villages as are nearest to the opportunities of procuring them by exchange or labor, domestic animals, dogs may occasionally, though only rarely, be seen in the villages, but these are small black, brownish black, or black and white dogs with very bushy tails, and not the yellow dingo dogs which infest the villages of Miko, and even these Mafulu dogs are, I was told, not truly a Mafulu institution. 
having been obtained by the people, I think, only recently from their Kuni neighbors, a tame cockatoo may also very occasionally be seen, and even, though still more rarely, a tame horndeal. There are no cocks and hens, the universal domestic animal of the Mafulu, however, is the pig, and he is so important to them that he is worthy of notice. These pigs are village pigs, which, though naturally identical with wild pigs being, in fact, wild pigs which have been caught alive or their descendants have to be distinguished from wild pigs, and especially so in connection with feasts and ceremonies. Village pigs are the individual property of the householders who possess them, there being no system of community or village ownership, and, when required for feasts and ceremonies, each household has to provide such pig or pigs as custom requires of it. They are bred in the villages by their owners, and by them brought up, fed and tended, the work of feeding and looking after them being the duty of the women. No distinguishing ownership marks are put upon the pigs, but their owners know their own pigs, and still more do the pigs know the people who feed them, so that disputes as to ownership do not arise. The number of pigs owned by these people is enormous in proportion to the size of their villages and I was told that a comparatively small village will be able at a big feast to provide a number of village pigs much in excess of what will be produced by one of the big Mako villages. These village pigs often wander away into the bush, and may disappear from sight for months, but they nevertheless still continue to be village pigs, if, however, they are not seen or heard of for a very long time say six months, they are regarded as having become wild pigs, and may be caught and appropriated as such. It is usual with village pigs to clip or shorten their ears and tails, or even sometimes to remove their eyes, so as to keep them from wandering into the gardens. But even a village pig thus marked as such would be regarded as having become a wild pig if it had disappeared for a very long time. Village pigs as distinguished from wild pigs are, as will be seen below, never eaten in their own village on ceremonial occasion. 